I am excited to be here this morning. I don't know about you guys, um, but I get a little excited to come to church on Sunday morning. And this is, uh, let me tell you why I'm excited. Um, Our church, God just keeps doing amazing things, like incredible things. Our little church has sent missionaries to three continents in the last month. We sent um, Courtney to Guatemala, which is on the same continent as we are right now, North America. It's kind of Central America, so I'm counting it, okay? We sent Courtney there. We sent um, five people to Rwanda, Africa, um, to work among orphans. We sent Doug to Lebanon, which is, is that Asia? It's the Middle East, which I think counts as Asia Minor, maybe? Geography? Man. Okay. What? Molly says yes, and she knows her stuff. Um, so Asia, and he um, got to see the Syria. You heard about it. He got to see the uh, refugee crisis out of Syria firsthand and the work that God is doing among those people. And then um, here in just a week or so, Matt, who's running our soundboard back there, is going to Cambodia, which I think also is in Asia. Um, and so God is sending people from right here in Council Bluffs all over the world to see what he's doing, take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And I think that's incredible. And uh, not only that, uh, God isn't just moving on the ends of the earth. He's moving right here. And so just uh, yesterday, there were about 20 people who've been reading books by good Christian thinkers, learning um, deep things about social justice and women's role in the church and how to gather together in community and care for each other well and do city groups well. They read and studied and presented to each other and processed their growing and their depth of knowledge of our King and their love and passion for Him. That happened right here. God is moving. He's drawing people into him, and that gets me excited. And maybe the biggest reason why I'm excited this weekend is because yesterday marked 11 years I've been married to my beautiful wife. 11 years. That is a much bigger win for me than it is for her, okay? Truth be told, uh, that's, that's uh, how it works. We're going to be in John chapter 10 today, so if you've got your Bible with you um, or an app or you can find one under the chair, go ahead and flip or scroll to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be. As you're doing that, um, I will tell you a story. Since it's my anniversary weekend, um, I'll uh, brag on my wife a little bit. She is beautiful and brilliant, She's got uh, what's called an educational specialist degree in school psychology. And so for somebody like me that doesn't know what that means, uh, it means she's a dissertation away from a doctorate. So she is very smart. She's done a lot of work um, to, uh, to use the brain that God gave her. And as her husband, um, it's just a blessing having a psychologist in the house. It'd be like if Quasimodo married a chiropractor, right? It's just God's grace. And so I'm super grateful for her. Um, well, before she got her degree... Um, We were engaged, and we were looking at grad schools. Where might she study? And we went to the University of Kentucky in Louisville. Down there, they say Louisville, right? Um, But I went to Louisville, and we looked at the University of Kentucky. um, And uh, on campus, there's another uh, campus within the campus. It's like this tiny school inside the boundaries of the bigger school, and old kind of brick block looking buildings. And it turns out uh, it's a seminary. And I thought, well, hey, I thought I might go to seminary, so we should check that out while we're on campus. And so I stroll up to the door. I, you know, walk in, I walk up to the gal at the front desk, and I say, you may have never heard of me, but I'm Eric Wiggum. 
And I didn't think that was abnormal. It's just what I said. I just, you know, strung up conversation. And she says, should I have heard of you? And, I, you know, I was caught off guard a little bit. I said, uh, probably not. <laughs> and so, who are you? Right? And we walk out and Sarah says, what is the matter with you? Who introduces themselves that way? Of course she's never heard of you. You're miles from home. You say Louisville. She says Louisville. You don't sound like her. You're not from around there. There's no chance she knows you. Just say, I'm Eric. Just tell her who you are, right? Um, but I didn't do that. Um, I, uh, I did a grand entrance, and then she had to say, who are you, right? Um, I think that Jesus, in John chapter 10, is answering that question for the people around him. I think Jesus is going to tell us who he is. You see, Jesus, like when I went to Louisville, um, he, he was in a place that he wasn't from. Jesus was part of the Trinity, um, God who existed eternally in heaven, and he stepped out of heaven into earth, and he lived among a people unlike him. And though the Old Testament had pointed to him from the beginning, God had been revealing what his Savior and Messiah would look like, what he would do to redeem his people. There was a reasonable expectation that people should have known who Jesus was, but the reality is very few of them did. And so in John so far, we've seen Jesus doing miracles changing the water to wine, healing people like restoring sight to the blind man. He was speaking to religious people in private and speaking to sinners in public. And he was doing all kinds of things that were um, odd, uncommon. They were different and it was drawing a crowd. People wanted to see what he would do next and hear what he would say next. And as this crowd gathered People start asking questions, and we see them in God's Word. In John chapter 8, just a couple chapters before where we are this morning, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, ask directly, who are you? In John chapter 9, last week, after Jesus restores the sight to the blind man, he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man answered, and who is he? Sir, that I may believe in him. Who are you? Who is he? The question then and the question today before us is, who is Jesus? Who is this man? And I think today he's going to tell us. Um, he told the story, when he answered that question, he told the story that Doug read just before I came up here. It was a story about a shepherd and sheep and a gate and a gatekeeper and a robber and all kinds of stuff going on in this short little story. And uh, so people say, who are you? Jesus tells that story, and then at the end, they have no idea what he's talking about. They didn't understand it. What? Who are you? I still don't know. And so Jesus opens it up. He begins in the following verses to place himself in that story and show us who he is. So in the remainder of John chapter 10, Jesus uses two statements that start with, I am. And so we're going to look at both of those today. I think they answer the question, who are you? And so we're going to look at them in order. I like to do the first one first. So let's jump in. John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 go like this. Jesus said, 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus, he tells this story about a sheep and a shepherd and a watchman and a gate. And then he starts placing himself inside it. He says, I am the door. Now, before we dive too far into that, uh, we got the kids in the room with us today. And so if you're a kid, I got a question for you. What does a shepherd do? Anybody know? Kids out there? What does a shepherd do? Yeah, that's right. You're both right. A shepherd takes care of sheep. Right? And so I think oftentimes when we think about shepherds, um, we think about like little kids dressed in robes getting ready for a Christmas pageant, right? A long maybe stick in their hand. Or we think about those paintings that we see of Jesus, right? With a well manicured beard and wavy hair and the lamb just draped over his shoulders, right? We get this was a Google search, right? This was like number three on the Google images, the good shepherd. You think stuff like this? Listen, that is not what a shepherd looked like in Jesus' day, okay? Shepherds were not well-manicured, Sunday-strolling pasture models who just petted their lambs like kittens all day, okay? Shepherds did not do that, okay? I don't know if you've ever met a shepherd, but I think um, even sheep farmers today in the United States are very different than shepherds were in Jesus' time. So I want to take you a little bit into their world. Okay, um, a shepherd was a dirty, tough, sheep-loving man. He got his hands dirty. He worked hard to care for the flock of sheep that he loved. Okay, because shepherds loved their sheep, they watched out for them, and their sheep lived in constant danger. This mixture of love and danger kind of work together to make shepherds protectors. So what were these dangers? What were the dangers a sheep might encounter? I'll tell you about a couple of them. Um, first of all, back in Jesus' time um, in Judea, the land where shepherds uh, uh, watched their sheep was very different than the land we have here. Okay? The, the land in Judea was a rocky terrain. And so instead of um, grass growing thick, it was kind of sparse. It was very unlike what we have here in southwest Iowa. I think the ground that we have here is kind of like what the ground will be like in heaven. Just rich, dark dirt where grass grows green and thick and lush, right? And the air is fresh and the water is cool. The ground here is nothing like the ground in Nebraska. I mean, Judea. It's nothing like that. Uh, we got good land here, but back in Jesus' time in Judea, they didn't. It was very rocky. And so the sheep, when they would go out and graze, they had to look for things to eat. It'd be in patches, and so they would wander the terrain. But, but it wasn't like rolling hills like we have. The rocks made it jagged, and so they could trip. They could fall down cliffs. There were drop-offs that the shepherds had to be aware of. And so sheep wandered, shepherds had to watch them, to care for them, to keep them safe. And it wasn't just the terrain that made uh, life for a sheep dangerous. Uh, there were wild animals, like wolves, that would hunt the sheep to eat them. There were thieves and robbers who would track the sheep to steal them. 
And it was the shepherd's job to step in if any enemy came. And so a shepherd had to be tough. He had to get his hands dirty. And so a normal day for a shepherd, he would get his sheep, he'd take them out in the morning to graze, and they would wander together in the hot, arid climate across a rocky terrain. And he would guide the sheep, they would follow him, he would watch the sheep. If one fell, he might have to carry it for a while, he might have to battle off a wolf. And at the end of a long, hot, hard day, the shepherd would bring his flock to a fold. Now, a fold is just a pen, a a place for sheep to stay and be safe. Now, if you were uh, near a village and you were a shepherd, you might bring your sheep to a fold in the village. And in those folds, you would have high rock walls that robbers and thieves wouldn't be able to scale and get in, that animals wouldn't be able to penetrate. And those high rock walls would be in a circle all the way around the sheep, and there would be only one gap in all of the wall. And in that gap, there would hang a thick, heavy, wooden door. And when that door closed, it would latch, and there would be a watchman who would lock that door. And he would have the only key. And so a shepherd could let the flock in, and when the door was closed, nothing got in or out of that fold without the guardian or the watchman letting them in. Now, if you were a shepherd in the countryside, things were a little different because the folds didn't have high rock walls all around, but your sheep still needed a fold. So shepherds in the countryside, they would plant hedges. And they plant them close together and let them grow. And they would be in a circle all around, and there would be only one gap in the hedge. But in a hedge, you can't hang a heavy wooden door. There's no place for the hinges. There's nothing to lock. And so how do you think the shepherds kept the sheep safe in the countryside without a door? The shepherd himself would lie down in the gap and sleep there overnight, listening and waiting and watching for anything that might come after the sheep. No sheep could get out. No thief, no wolf, no wild animal could get in. Nothing or no one got to the sheep unless, the shep- unless they made it through the shepherd. Jesus said, I am the door. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us that Jesus said, I am the door? Um, I think it means two things. I think we can get two things out of this. Because Jesus is the door, we can know that we are both saved and safe. Because Jesus is the door, we know that we are saved and safe. We enjoy protection and pasture. Jesus says anyone who enters by him would be saved. And so the, the logical next question is saved from what? Right? Jesus says they'd be saved from wolves and thieves. Anything that might steal your life, kill you, and destroy your soul. When you hide behind the door that is Jesus Christ, none of your enemies can enter. He will let you in and keep them out. He is the door, and that's good news, right? I think it's good news because I think some of us here today might just long for a little safety. Is that you? I think some of us here today long for a little safety. You might feel like, man, at every corner something is knocking me down. 
Every time I get up, something else is after me again. I take hits from all sides all the time, and what I really want is just a little break, a little safety. And if that's you, if that's what you feel like life is throwing at you right now, hear what Jesus said. I am the door. He lies down in the only gap that anybody could enter to get to you. And he says, I will let you in and keep them out. It is good news for weak sheep that our Jesus is the door. But I think others of us are sitting here and that you hear that and you say, man, that sounds good. I mean, it's good to be safe. I'm glad he's a door. But honestly, truth be told, I don't want to be pinned up all day, right? I don't want to hide behind the door in the fold all day. I want to go out. I want to experience all that God has created for me. There's a, uh, an adventurousness um, to God's people. And if that's you and you say, yeah, I want to be safe, but I don't just want to be safe, the, the door speaks to you too. Because you see, Jesus, he said, I am the door and they will go in and out and find pasture. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, the good thing about a door is that it closes and it opens. Jesus being the door, I think, might be kind of like having a basement in a place where there's lots of tornadoes, right? When the tornado sirens blare, where do you want to be? In the basement. Get down there and close the door behind you. It's the safest place to be. When the storms come, go downstairs. But when the storm passes and the sirens are quiet and the sun is shining and there's life to be lived, you don't want to be in the basement. It's dark and dreary and there's life outside. And you want to open the door and go out. Jesus is the door. And he says that when we are in the sights of the enemy... When our enemy is on the prowl looking at you and at me, you can enter into him and he will keep you safe and keep them away. Oh, but when life is good and when green pastures and still waters await, he opens up that you get life and you get it abundantly. It is good news that Jesus is the door. In him, we are saved and we are safe. So Jesus says he's the door, but he doesn't stop there. He also says, I am the good shepherd. Look uh, at the Bible with me again. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I just want to be honest with you. As a preacher, this is a challenge because the imagery of Jesus being the good shepherd is deep and wide. It's rich, and there's no way that we could talk about all of it right here, right now. And so I'm just I'm going to go with two places, and somebody's going to come up afterwards and say, oh yeah, the good shepherd means this too. Absolutely, it probably does. Uh, there's a lot to it, okay? But I'm going to look at two things that we can know um, after Jesus tells us he's the good shepherd. Number one, a good shepherd knows his sheep. 
A good shepherd knows his sheep, okay? Shepherds in Jesus' day, they spent all day, all their time with their sheep. And in Jesus' day, sheep were raised much more for their wool than for their meat. They weren't raising them to serve rack of lamb every other evening, right? It was for their wool. And that meant that shepherds would be with the same sheep for months and then years on end. And so a shepherd knew his flock. He knew them well. He knew their particular likes and dislikes, their characters. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that he even would give them a name. I I, kind of think it might be like what happens when my kids and my nieces and nephews hear that grandpa and grandma's cats have had kittens right? You know what this is like. They all go to grandpa and grandma's place. They find these little baby kittens and they look at them and they're like, oh man, that one's really playful and likes to, you know, fight. And so we're going to call, and it's white and brown. So we're going to call him Luke Skywalker. And that one's really dark. And uh, so we're going to call him Darth Vader. And that one has long whiskers. And so we're going to call him Whiskers, right? Because the theme never carries all the way through. It's just how it rolls uh, in my family. Uh, But they name the cats, Because they see those kittens and they fall in love and they study them and love them and play with them and give them a name. And so you can imagine a shepherd who's known these sheep for years and lambs are born. And he looks out over the lambs and he smiles and he pets them and he knows them and he names them. That one's brown leg and that one's bug eater. And this one's bossy pants, right? And you get a shepherd who knows his sheep by name because he knows who they are. A good shepherd knows his sheep. I think there's um, uh, something else. Uh, Oh, before I go on. A shepherd at the end of the day near a village would bring his sheep into a fold uh, with the high rock walls. And... uh, in a village, there'd be lots of shepherds around. And so the fold would be big enough for many flocks. And so at night, shepherd after shepherd would bring his flock in, and the, the watchman would close the door on all the sheep at once. And so they wake up in the morning, all the sheep have intermingled and mixed up, and the shepherd would go back to the watchman in the morning and want his sheep and only his sheep back. How do you think he got the sheep out of the fold? Just his sheep. How do you think it happened? Jesus tells us in John chapter 10. Uh, He says in verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The shepherd loves his sheep. He knows them, and he names them, and they know him. And so how does he get them out of the fold? He would simply walk up to the gate and call them out. Come on, sheep. Hey, brown leg. Hey, bug eater. Let's go. It's time. And his sheep would follow, and every other shepherd's sheep would stay. Now, the only, I, the only experience in life I have relatively close to this is when I was growing up on my grandpa's farm, um, we'd go feed cattle. And he would carry, you know, heavy feed buckets out to the trough, and he would put just a little bit of feed in a bucket so I could pretend I was helping. And uh, we would walk across the pasture to the trough, and as we walked across, um, the cows would all look at us. And they would kind of stare, and I think they were wondering, who is that little stranger next to you? 
right? And as we walked, my grandpa would say calmly, here, girls, come here, girls, come on. And they would look, and they were hesitant because I was there, but they would all start walking. And they would follow him, and as soon as we got about halfway to the troughs, we had a line and a crowd of cattle around us. I was amazed every time as a five-year-old boy, because I would try to shout it, come here, girls, right? And they'd all freeze. And my grandpa would say, no, 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 not like that. Come here, girls, come on. And then they'd start walking again. You ever experienced this? It was incredible. He's like a Pied Piper. I've never known anybody who could call cattle like you can call a dog. But apparently farmers do this. And it worked. And Jesus is saying that he's that kind of a shepherd. He's the kind of shepherd that, uh, like when my grandpa fed his cattle, when he called them, they would follow because they knew on the other side of his call, good things awaited. There was feed in the trough. There was a salt lick or a mineral feeder or whatever other things cattle get from their farmers, right? When he called, the cows knew on the other side of that call, good things awaited. And Jesus is saying, I'm that kind of shepherd. I know my sheep by name. And when I call, they listen and they follow. And it's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It's a joy. It's a love. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep. Um, I think one other thing that we can see when Jesus says he's the good shepherd, a good shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. A good shepherd knows his sheep, and a good shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. Here's what the Bible says. I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Now here Jesus is telling us why he's a good shepherd. He starts off basically by saying, I'm a good shepherd because I'm not like a hired hand. A hired hand, if they're watching over the sheep and a wolf comes, what's the hired hand do? You bolt, right? The sheep aren't worth it. Let them have the sheep. They're not getting me, right? A hired hand doesn't value the sheep enough to stand guard for them. And so Jesus is better than a hired hand because he says, I have the authority to lay down my life for the sheep. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. And so he's better than a hired hand. But Jesus goes further. He doesn't just say I'm better than a hired hand because all shepherds are better than a hired hand. He says he's better than a good shepherd. Did you catch this? He's better than other good shepherds. Because Jesus said, uh, I have the authority to lay down my life for the sheep. If a wolf came, if danger struck, a good shepherd stands in the gap. A good shepherd risks his life, gives his life, lays down his life so that the sheep might live. A good shepherd values the life of his sheep more than he values his own life. And so he would lay down, he would go to battle, he would stand in the gap, he would take the risk when danger comes. Jesus says he does that. But all good shepherds do that. How is Jesus better than other good shepherds? He said, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to what? To take it up again. 
You see, a normal good shepherd, he has the authority to lay down his life, and he would do it. He would stand in the gap, but a normal good shepherd, if a wolf comes and the wolf overpowers him, or if a thief comes and the thief outwits him and the shepherd loses his life, the sheep are left shepherdless. A good shepherd that lays down his life might fail the sheep. But Jesus says he's not like that. He has better authority. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life, but I have the authority to take it up again. And he did that. And so I want us to see, what do we know? When Jesus says the good, he is the good shepherd, what does that mean for us today? I think it means that we are both guided and guarded. Because Jesus is a good shepherd, we are guided and we are guarded. Track with me. The all-powerful cosmic king of the universe created all that is, all that was, and all that ever will be. And he says he knows you by name. The president of the United States has no idea what my name is. The governor of Iowa has no idea what my name is. The lady at the table at the seminary that I walked into has no idea what my name is. But the cosmic king of the universe says he knows you and me by name. He says he knows what you love and what you're passionate about. He knows the longings and desires of your heart. He knows what gives you life. And he wants to give you abundant life because he is a good shepherd. And he also knows what you fear. And what hurts you the deepest, what baggage you carry, what good things you long for that you've never experienced, the aches and pains in your heart. And because he's a good shepherd, he wants to guide you. He wants to protect you. Our good shepherd knows us and calls us by name. And when he calls, it's a joy to follow him like sheep who know that on the other side of the call of their shepherd await good things. Jesus is a good shepherd, and because of that, we know that we are guided by him as he calls us by name. We also know that we are guarded by him because he is willing to sacrifice himself for the sheep. Listen, in the book of John, the first 11 or 12 chapters talk about Jesus' ministry before the cross. And about chapter 12, it transitions, and the rest of the book, the second half of the book, is all about his work on the cross. And so Jesus, here in chapter 10, he knows what's coming. And when he said, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again, he's not just saying he possesses that authority, or he has a general willingness to do that. He knew what was coming. And he was telling these sheep, these people, these listeners, saying, Who are you, Jesus? What are you like? What are you doing? He says, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I'm going to do it. And he did it. And he went to the cross. And as a door, he stood in the gap. And as a good shepherd, he went and protected us when the enemy's sights were on us, ready to steal our lives, to kill us, and destroy our souls. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. No. You can't get to them. I'm closing them in. I'm keeping you out. And he laid down his life that we might keep ours. 
And unlike other good shepherds, he didn't stay dead. He didn't abandon his sheep. He didn't lead for a while and then leave. Jesus had the authority and he used it and he took up his life again. And he walked out of that grave and he's sitting down on his throne in heaven, still guiding and guarding his sheep today. We follow a good shepherd, amen? This is good news, City Light. Jesus is telling us who he is. He is the door and he is the good shepherd. And I got one more thing to say because I think Jesus says it. And if I miss it, I don't do justice to John chapter 10. So look one more time with me. One more time. John chapter 10, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. What's he saying? What is Jesus saying here? I have sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them in. What is Jesus talking about? There are people in this world who don't yet know his voice. There are people in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world, in Syrian refugee camps, on the other side of the world that have never known the abundant life that waits on the other side of his call. And when I read this passage, I don't know about you, but, but names and faces start racing across my mind and overflowing in my heart because there are people in this world that I long to see be part of the fold of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Do you have that going on? When Jesus says there are sheep who are not of this fold, do you have names and faces? I think he does. And he said, not, and I hope they come, not, and I'll call and maybe they'll follow, Jesus said there are sheep who are not of this fold, and I must bring them in. They will hear my voice and follow me. City Light, Jesus is still bringing sheep into his fold today. Do you believe that? Has that changed you? What does it mean for us that our good shepherd is still bringing sheep into the fold? How do we respond to that as a family? I think it means that, that we're ready. We're ready to welcome them in. We're longing for them and looking for them like our good shepherd is. I don't know. I don't know all the ways that Jesus brings sheep into the fold. I think it's diverse and all kinds of ways he uses. He calls people uh, in more ways than I could ever list. But I'm going to tell you, I think the primary way that Jesus calls sheep into his fold, I think he does it through the other sheep. Don't take my word for it. This is what the book of Romans says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen. There are sheep that need to hear the voice of Jesus. And the primary way that they are going to hear it is when you and I preach it. They're not going to hear if we don't say it. They're not going to come into the fold if we're not looking and longing like our good shepherd did. And so say like, can I challenge you today? If you have heard the voice of the good shepherd, if you've heard the call and experienced the goodness and blessing and abundant life on the other side, would you tell somebody about it? Would you be on the same mission that he is on? Would you call other people who are not here with us to come here, 
to know the Savior, to experience life in him. Oh, it's what Jesus was about, and so I want it to be what we are about. Would you join in that mission? And finally, if you're sitting here today, and you see a sweaty little man talking about a shepherd up here, and you're wondering, I don't know if, I, if I've ever given my life to him. I don't know if I've ever heard his voice. If you're longing for safety because the world keeps beating you up and you need a door that'll let you in and keep all that out. If you're longing for somebody to guide you and you just say, man, life is dull. I've been looking for something abundant. There's got to be more. What is it? If you're sitting here and you're longing for a savior, you're longing for something to fill the void, would you ask the good shepherd to call your name? Would you listen for the good shepherd who is calling your name? Would you give your life to him, following him? Because I promise you, on the other side of the call awaits all kinds of blessing and abundant life. He is the door, and in him we are saved and safe. And he is the good shepherd who guides us and guards us. Amen? Amen.